Hello, stoned apes, and others who are curious about the healing powers of psychedelic medicines. Welcome to the Stoned Ape Reports. I'm your host, Stuart Preston. Each episode, I talk to another stoned ape, somebody who has experienced the transformational powers of psychedelics, or with a practitioner who works with these medicines. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Joe Moore, co-host of Psychedelics Today, a podcast dedicated to exploring and discussing academic, scientific, and other research in the field of psychedelics. Joe has a BA in philosophy and studied the work of Stanislav Grof. He now facilitates holotropic and transpersonal breathwork workshops. Please enjoy this episode with Joe Moore. Thank you for joining me today here on the uh, Stoned Ape Reports. I really appreciate your time and and you sharing your story with everybody. So, um, you know, why don't we begin with your, your, your origin story? What kind of was going on in your life, you know, before psychedelics and what brought you into into these medicines? Yeah, I've been trying to come up with a coherent narrative here, and I'll, I'll take, a, take a stab at it. <laughs> um, so really straight-laced person in high school, you know, kind of, kind of a crazy person, but not like drug using. I think I only drank maybe maximum yeah. of twice in high school. Definitely wow. didn't smoke weed until college. Um, but I was always really interested in like occult and paranormal stuff. Like um, I'm kind of rewatching X-Files a little bit right now while we're in quarantine and I'm realizing yeah. how influential it was on my life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure it's, you know, the bulk of it, but it was, you know, a huge interest point. And they even had a feature of holotropic breathwork in there um, on one or two episodes. Really? Yeah. It didn't look like holotropic breathwork. It looked like hypnosis, but they called it holotropic breathwork. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps that was really the foundation. And then I had an assigned reading in um, my first ever philosophy course in college. And it talked about a lot of kind of paranormal anomalous type things that were fairly well documented. And one of them was the LSD psychotherapy work of Dr. Stanislav Graf in Prague and in Maryland. And um, one of the stories looked a lot like something in Poltergeist or Exorcist. And I was like, wait, what? These people are actually saying this was real? Okay. This is the first time, you know, I had looked into UFO stuff at length and I never really found anything great. And I found, and I found like all these nonfiction books on uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And I just started digging in my freshman year of school. So hmm. I thought it was amazing that there were these things that allowed for really extraordinary experiences that bend to the paradigm of what we thought was real and what wasn't real. Yeah. And uh, to give you a time frame, this is right around the time that the matrix came out and nine 11 happened. Um, nine 11 mm-hmm. happened like the same month I moved out of my parents' house for the first time. So there was right. a lot of paradigm bending stuff going on for me at that point. So it was just a really wild, scary and interesting time. And so I took two years of reading all this Dr. Stan Groff literature about, you know, how successful LSD could be at treating diseases, how um, great holotropic breathwork is for various things. Took two years of reading that, stalking forums online before I got the guts up to go to a holotropic breathwork workshop, which was really phenomenal for me. Drove from New Hampshire over to Vermont and told, I don't know that I told anybody I was going. 
So I was like, hey, don't worry about me. I might get abducted by a cult. I don't know who these people are, what's going on, but I'm staying at their house for a weekend. <laughs> so, um, yeah. They've become really good friends. And as far as I know, I don't think I'm in a cult. So that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, don't sound like but, it. Uh, <laughs> so it was a you know, really interesting experience for me. Um, I wouldn't say it was very extreme in terms of like an extreme psychedelic experience, but I got to see other people in the room having uh, really extreme experiences right next to me from breath and music and group. Um, And I was just kind of shocked. I was like, okay, breathing can do this. Now I know it can happen. Just why isn't it happening for me? So I kept going back and it started to really work for me. Uh, Really interesting experiences, kind of subtle at first, but kind of, highly physical as well like a lot of um pain coming up and um really weird body sensations for for a long Mm. time and you know it it became like by going there regularly and helping out and like meeting everybody developing connections with people interested in this i think that was the real healing for me it was like the human connection and the um you know regular practice of going in and saying okay i'm gonna do something really serious right now it's you know that's just what it is <laughs> it's no, no real great way for me to personally prep because the whole container was so perfect for it just showing up being me right. communicating with people and and being willing to dive deep into the whole trip of breathwork experience and so you know at a certain point i i started getting a little bored with how my life was set up you know i was doing software work um you know stuff wasn't really novel for me in my day to day I was probably drinking mm-hmm. too much. Um, well, definitely was drinking too much. And uh, I went through kind of a crazy breakup and I somehow stumbled into um, this ayahuasca group, underground group operating somewhere in the Northeast. We'll leave it vague. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, that was the first time I really, I think I had grown mushrooms before this, but I didn't really, they didn't work for me or something. I don't, I don't know. They worked well for hmm. other people. Um, right. So I went to this ayahuasca place and asked for the really big cup and they gave it to me. (laughs) And, uh, I don't, I don't think it was the big cup. I think it was just a strong cup and I only had one cup the whole time. And I was, um, you know, thankfully I had years of practice from holotropic breath work to do altered states work. And yeah, just went into like a half hour of the um, most intense fear that I've ever had, um, followed oh. by vomiting and, you know, which was actually kind of pleasurable for me. Um, and then or perhaps it was the contrast from the terror. I don't know. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but in it, the moment, in the moment there was like pleasure from, from that, the purge and the vomiting. Right. It was like, um, the analogy I use is how fighter pilots like kind of lose their vision when they're pulling a really hard G turn. Um, and they have to yeah. do like special breathing exercises to make sure they don't black out. It's kind of like that. Like my full consciousness was like being squeezed down to a point through like mm-hmm. my body and stomach stuff. It was just like, and like down to a point and then it would kind of like dilate back out and it happened like, I don't mm-hmm. know, three or four times. Yeah. I, I was totally okay with the vomit, um, <laughs> vomiting, vomiting yeah. that stuff tasted way better than drinking it. Um, and oh, you don't like the taste? <laughs> no, no. It was like a burnt, it was like a really, I don't know, like, let's say like seven, 
bunch of seventh graders trying to make a disgusting barbecue sauce. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like how I like to put it. Just a horrible flavor. Um, but it worked great. And then it was just a torrent of emotion memories and, you know, messages, possibly past life experiences, but who, who the hell knows? Um, yeah, just, um, you know, beautiful. And near the end, like the whole world was diamonds and I was just so happy and I was floating on clouds for the next wow. nine months. Um, the integration was a little weak. People drove <laughs> home same day. It's like, it's uh, it's a little whack, mm-hmm. but okay. So, you know, not everybody is doing this stuff super, in a super safe way. Probably my point there. Um, but it was still extraordinary yeah. for me. I stayed over, um, got to hang out with some people who had been around this stuff for decades, like the next day. And that was, mm. you know, that was kind of like my big initiation. And it was kind of a really pivotal point for me in my life. Um, and I spent a lot of time kind of promoting events and coordinating in Boston ever since then. And uh, also in Boulder and, you know, now I'm on to other stuff, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of like my first, it's kind of my origin story. That's how I like to explain it. And then when you came out of that, that, that's interesting. The the breath work introduced you to, to all this stuff and really is its own, you know, like you say, beneficial altered state. Um, did you come out of all your breath work with any kind of a lesson that you integrated into your life before you transitioned into that ayahuasca? I think the biggest lesson was slow down. Like, um, slow down. <laughs> I really wanted to, you know, get enlightened right away. Um, a lot of my philosophy degree yeah. was kind of, um, uh, spiritual in origin, kind of like, uh, Thomas Aquinas kind of Catholic stuff mixed with like, um, a lot of Hindu and Buddhist philosophy, um, like source yeah. texts from those and like playing with all those ideas and how it relates to Plato and Pythagoras. And, you know, it was a, it was a pretty spiritual, um, philosophy program so a lot of this stuff was getting so put your on being me. was already well ready to slide into all this stuff right right so you know the the main trajectory the <laughs> degree was they were trying to get me into a transcendental meditation program <laughs> and i was like no nah, mm-hmm. i think that's a little too expensive for me it's a little culty um i don't really want to do it um so i still had right. all the prep um from there intellectually and my breathwork teacher Lenny Gibson dream shadow had a PhD in in philosophy and clinical psychology so he had this kind of bridged um, education that was really helpful for me Um, Mm -hmm. and you know he was also there to help kind of bounce off you know contradictory ideas from what I was getting pushed on me at school and it was really helpful yeah that's good yeah. And then when you went through this ayahuasca ceremony, I, you know, cause it's, it's true. And a lot of these underground ceremonies, people jump in their cars and drive away. Um, but you stayed for a night and you were able to talk to some experienced people and, and, and work on some stuff. And you mentioned that for nine months, you know, after that you had, you know, um, benefits or effects or changes going on. So what, what, if you don't mind me asking, what did you integrate and, and what were you able to bring out of that? experience to kind of help you with your life right well you know the the stereotype is that you get homework at the end um and my homework was to just build connections with my family again um you know Mm -hmm. i was off being a you know 20 year old partying all the time traveling 
you know, just doing stuff that's yeah. not necessarily related to my family. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how many months I would have gone by without talking to my siblings or my parents. And it was probably a lot. Um, and I was, yeah, able to start connecting with them, um, you know, more regularly with intention yeah. of like, okay, these are your family. Like you have to be close to them and you have to, you know, just at least have some sort of ongoing relationship, whatever it is. And that really helped a lot. Um, and, you know, somehow I, I slipped into meditating daily and doing Qigong daily um, for, for many months what, after this. Uh, Qigong is kind of like slower, simpler Tai Chi. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty cool. It's a uh, moving meditation and it's really nice. And I found it to be really helpful at the time, especially because it was meditating every day and doing that every day. Um, so I think all that combined, probably also journaling, um, really just helped me root whatever was happening for me. You know, I, I think a lot of people in their early to mid twenties get a little messianic when psychedelics are in the mix. Um, and I was definitely having that. Yeah. But I thankfully had this breathwork community that was like, well, you know, this is just kind of the process. This is just what happens. Um, and, you know, I didn't feel bad about it. I was just like, okay, maybe again, I just need to slow down. And like one of the lines that was really valuable for <laughs> yeah. me is uh, hasten slowly. Like, yes, evolve and grow, but, huh. you know, have a good foundation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Don't just charge forward without having a decent foundation. You really, foundations are worth it. So the breathwork community, they, they, they almost sound to me like the, the wise people of all this. You know, and it's like they, do you feel like it's a really good tight community? Whereas in psychedelics, sometimes we have people like you said that maybe they get too messianic or maybe they, they go overboard in the, the social partying part of it or they get, you know, or they, they do it with great advice, like you're saying, and kind of hasten slowly. Do you think the holotropic breathwork community is is kind of wise as a community because i don't really know much about it i know i read your stuff and i hear your stuff but is it like a pretty good community to get to get grounded and make these these uh changes deliberately i think yeah i think so like nowhere is perfect <clears throat> but yeah. what the breathwork community has going for it is that it's it's rooted in psychedelic psychotherapy um in the work of dr stan groff and um, it never had an outlaw period where it had to go underground. Um, it's yeah. global in, in scope at this point, very big in Russia, Europe. Um, I think in Brazil, it's because it basically, it came too. out of, it came out of the, the legal troubles of psychedelics, right? Is he Stan, Stanislav Grof was, was into all this and then it all got made illegal. And then he's like, well, here's something we can do. And he created this whole thing from that. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. Um, it was, yeah, it was his life work. He essentially spent his whole professional career, um, up until prohibition, uh, working mm -hmm. with LSD and he got picked up by Esalen, which is a beautiful place on the California coast, big Sur, um, as kind of a scholar in residence. And he started writing books about his work. And eventually they said, Hey, you know, if you want to keep living here, that's fine. But you know, we got to pay your rent somehow. So maybe do some workshops so watching experiential experiential and experimental psychotherapy happen there along with yoga and a number of other um, traditions from around the world 
at Esalen, he was able to say, oh, mm-hmm. like this actually looks like a natural, normal human healing process um, that I was doing in the LSD states. Like perhaps we can come up with some elements um, that are in these other workshops and use them to create this new method. Um, so he and his wife, uh, yeah. Christina, came up with it together at, um, at Esalen. And um, yeah, yeah, then it came through a few modifications and yeah, uh, now it exists as kind of like a sitter breather pair method where you spend a whole day or a weekend kind of doing these things. And, and um, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole ball of wax to get into the process, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's awesome. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I know. I'd never really heard of it. And when you, when you and Kyle were doing that session here in Arizona, I missed it. And I just watched all the people walking around just talking about it. What an amazing oh, experience cool. that you guys gave them just for that, that short workshop. Yeah, it was really, uh, that opened my eyes, you know, to this. So I'm glad you guys are out there doing that. Well, I guess you can't really do it today. But, um, <laughs> soon enough. Soon enough. Soon enough. So when you look at all these experiences, um, have you given any thought or what do you think about kind of, the your the your path in life or the way you believe or think change as a result of these experiences and how and if so how is life different as a result of it mm. yeah it's complicated but i'll try and keep me on track if i go a little sideways um, okay so yeah i think i was a bit of a fundamentalist literalist around like religious texts mm-hmm. um I didn't have like super flexible thinking because I'm a young person in my you know, 20s. Um, right. And I didn't have enough experience to like learn flexible thinking yet. So, yeah, like I, I think I started a little like <laughs> kind of like a, I, I think of myself as an environmentalist, but young Republican <laughs> somehow in my early days. And I think um, now I'm a lot more kind of like agnostic. Um in terms of like my political philosophy, my, my religious philosophy, it's all really kind of fluid. Like I, I'm okay Mm -hmm. with other people having experiences. I'm like not going to tell them that they're necessarily wrong now uh, or right. But I'll say, okay, yes, this is one of the experiences that humans can have. Absolutely. Like your experience is definitely real, but everybody else can have a whole variety of experiences um, and it, you know, the reality just allows for that. Human biology allows for this huge diversity of um, experiences. So mm-hmm. I think I think it's kind of like a, like a relaxing and a permissiveness for, you know, weirdness, for other people's weirdness. And like, just because you had this <laughs> experience doesn't necessarily mean it's true for me, right? Like, sure, you talk to 12 angels over the course of 12 ayahuasca sessions great like yes there's some reality there i'm not the one that's going to tell you what that reality is beyond that it might not necessarily be true for me or relevant to me um so it's kind of like allowing for prophets and messiahs though the scope of their impact should be pretty well mitigated um i guess Mm -hmm. or minimized or i i don't know what the fair phrasing is there but yeah it's yeah. You know, so so I'm a lot more relaxed now than I was. I'm a lot more um into, you know, just living life as opposed to like being wildly mission focused, like, you know, enlightenment 
kind of thing or like mm-hmm. i need 10 million dollars in the bank otherwise my life was worthless like those kind of things aren't there right. anymore whereas they definitely were in my 20s um, yeah and yeah it's and, and this relationship to you know our current world is really complicated because everything's an abstraction like borders or fictions like what is this mm-hmm. whole thing where individual nations <clears throat> um on a spaceship we're flying through space on a single unit and we're kind of making yeah. like weird ridiculous rules that you know if we play this whole game out the way we're playing it now it doesn't end well but we need to like really redream everything that's that's mm-hmm. happening and we've got in place and you know it's it's um it's an interesting place i've landed it's complicated because i see that there's like infinite work left to be done and you know there's no real end point it's all just part of a process and um you know trusting trusting that everything is going to be okay and that death is natural is is kind of part of it death is safe Mm -hmm. you know it sucks a little bit to to know that there's going to be an end but you know they're it's okay (laughs) like that's you were born you were going to die anyway like it's okay um and you know just just figuring out how to how to live more skillfully or artfully or something i you know just perhaps that's where i want to pin put a pin in it because i feel like i'm rambling a bit well that's uh not surprising that it's all very philosophical (laughs) coming from you um so you know in your journeys and and what you've you've gone through here i think it's probably i don't know if it is different I, i think maybe it'd be different for breath work but with a psychedelic journey, I know you, you and Kyle have a lot of great resources uh, at Psychedelics Today for um, tripping safely and um, integrating and all this kind of stuff. What, I mean, your own personal views, what, what are the keys to having a, a good, safe, insightful journey? Mm. <laughs> this is super complicated for me. Um. <clears throat> is it? <laughs> so and I'll, and so I'll put, I'll put a link gonna... to your books I'll put a link to your books yeah. you don't have to give everything away but if there's a way to take yeah. the super complicatedness and, and you know, like a couple keys you know the kind of bubble at the top of your mind like what would those be yeah um, so it depends on context right if you're going to do like an at home kind of in your bed thing um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> having somebody in the room or right outside the room that you can trust and call for help if you need it. Yeah. Um, that's huge. Uh, you know, no dangly earrings or things that can hurt you. Like glass is probably not the best move. Probably use some plastic. Um, mm. I would say, you know, prepping, you know, just cause you can break glass and get cut and while you're tripping, it's not the best right. time to have a huge laceration. Yeah. Last summer. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting when you're you know four to eight hits deep in acid and you see one of your buddies bleeding really bad. It's, uh, <laughs> it depends on how seriously laugh, you take bleeding. For some reason, that's funny. <laughs> it depends, yeah, depends on how seriously you take bleeding and the types of cuts. Um, and you know there was medical staff at this festival, so it was fine. But you know, um, yeah, I yeah, I just like the classic move of eye shades, you know, a nice relaxing playlist that doesn't have English language words in it. Um, you know, potentially yeah. uh, designed by a professional or a semi-pro. Like if you're going to go in and listen mm-hmm. to Goo Goo Dolls and Third Eye Blind in your, in your trip, like that's probably not the right move. Um, 
depending yeah. on what you're trying for, you know, there's, there's a lot of different angles there, but yeah, having a nice little speaker or some headphones on along with your eye shades and, and, um, you know, in really nice, comfortable scenario. I also found that um, weighted blankets are really helpful. They're, they're shown to reduce anxiety in humans. So by reducing anxiety, you'll have a less anxious trip. Um, I use that in some of my one-on-one legal sessions in Jamaica um, last summer, and it, it seemed to work really well. It was a tip from an underground facilitator that's done a lot of work. Um, and I, I think that's a huge improvement as a weighted blanket. <laughs> yeah. Um, check that out sometime. Yeah. And giving yourself, having a plan. This is something Kyle came up with a while back as a GPA, like get grounded, have a plan and take action. So like have an integration plan in place for afterwards. Like perhaps it's a long walk in nature. Perhaps you're going to go swimming um, or lift some weights. Like there's a lot of tips out there for integration. Um, Mm-hmm. integration like the phrase kind of pisses me off a little bit lately because people are just saying it, it. does and, and because, because people don't necessarily have around. a good understanding of what they're saying when they say it um including people yeah. in kind of leadership positions or i would say a lot of leaders do have an understanding it's just that it's really difficult it's a difficult concept to communicate well um because what does it really mean and it means a lot of different things and integration can look different for everybody um yeah so you know, we've, we've got an integration workbook to help people through it and gives a lot of tips, but it's, it's a really convoluted thing, but circling back, just going slower than normal is, is really the trick, like in taking care of yourself. So just like you broke a leg or got a huge wound, what would you do to take care of that? Um, and what would you do for this large psychic experience that you had? Um, so yeah, there's a lot there. Um, and it's a, it's a really big topic and yeah. you know, it's, it's legal for you to get help with aftercare so you can easily find people to help you afterwards. So perhaps right. having somebody like it sucks, it costs money, but they're a professional and they need to pay rent too. like maybe find a therapist right, yeah. skilled in this or has some experience with helping folks integrate. And then, you know, yeah, you get to talk to them the next day or the same night on the phone or Skype or even in person sometimes. Um, yeah. yeah and that's so, a real value they should get paid for that yeah totally like people yeah, like money and psychedelics is a really complicated <laughs> convoluted topic yeah, yeah. but you know yeah it's consider it energy exchange like um, I remember the philosopher Ken Wilber talking 10 to 15 years ago about how interesting energy exchange will be in the future for kind of like healer people um, and their clients and what it you know, what yeah. does that look like? Like what's, what's fair, equitable, you know, do, do you want to get like the, the plumber with two star rating on Yelp or like the five star rating, you know, like right. if you want to save money, you can definitely get the two star, but maybe yep. you're trying to maximize benefit and you save money enough for the five star. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And having some sort of like my biggest risk or fear is that people would actually go outside and start putting themselves in physical danger, like cars or like running into the police Mm -hmm. station to tell them, you know, about the reptiles that are, you know, going to take out town council that night or running to the radio station to tell them the good news as well. Like that kind of stuff can be really harmful for people. Um, And we're not really a point in culture where we have a good container for that. Like people can lose their jobs and much more. 
Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's why you said in the beginning it's important to have somebody there. Yeah, just to make sure you're not running away and you have an agreement with them that yeah. you're not going to leave the room or the, the house. Um, but to maximize benefit, it's, it's eyes closed, not really talking in normal English words and just kind of sticking with the experience. I, you know, and there's oodles of underground guides out there. So you can, you can find them if you try. Um, and that's probably yeah. one of the better ways to really maximize the benefit is, is finding a pro. A pro guide. Right. Yeah. It's hard math to figure um, out if they are the one you want to work with or not, but it's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That is tough. It, uh, it seems like it could almost introduce um, some nerves. So I don't wonder if there's any kind of prep work, you know, between the two to make sure that that mindset is still in the right place. <clears throat> when I was working with when my clients in, uh, in Jamaica, we had six hours of, Skype calls before we met in person in Jamaica um, to work them through oh, everything good. that's going on in their world and develop yeah. comfort and safety. Um, yeah. So All right, that's good. I think, yeah, people should definitely dig in <laughs> on like, do I like this person? Do I trust this person? Do there, are they, flexible enough in their language to accommodate my worldview and religious views and whatever else is going on there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if they're a yeah. fundamentalist Christian facilitator, that's great, but perhaps that doesn't work for your San Francisco atheist. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, as a, I'm not a San Francisco atheist, but I could see myself being concerned about having a, a, a religious person of any religion there because i'd be worried they might guide me or ask right. me certain questions it's like are you seeing jesus oh yeah <laughs> that must be what that is how about you with know? reiki right like if you just don't like people that do reiki and you're tripping really hard and someone tries to do reiki on you mid-session because they think it's the right move and and you mm -hmm. see that as an assault that could be i've, I've heard some horror stories and it happens all the time in, in breath work where people try mm. to intervene with Reiki and it's like, well, come on. Really? What are you doing? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, that's too bad. That's too bad. Yeah. I know my, my mom is a, is a Reiki master and she always talks about, yeah, no, you can't do it without somebody's consent. Right. So I find right. it interesting I mean, that there are people that, that, that try that. That's not good. Uh, <laughs> I, what did I hear yesterday? Chris Hatfield, the uh, astronaut from NASA said something like there's no, problem so bad that you can't make it worse um <laughs> that was funny it's like well yeah. what if we just do less you know slow down right put less pressure on yourself and like it's it's probably okay like hey you're not necessarily yeah. going to fix your ocd this month maybe though over the next six months your symptom set's going to drop like crazy if you follow the rules yeah. whatever people are going at it for yeah, you know? do it right yeah and slow yeah, is do okay it right yeah, we want this magic fix, but the magic fix doesn't necessarily exist. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people are in search for that. They want that magic, magic pill yeah. to fix it. Yeah. So when you when you were going through all this and and doing this, one you know one thing you mentioned is you were getting closer to your family and reaching out to them. Um, when you started talking to people about 
psychedelics and journeys. I mean, you know, it, it seems like it was a while ago. So I feel like the, the stigma out there may still be strong. What kind of reaction did you get from them or what was your experience and kind of starting to talk about this stuff? Cause we all know you today is, you know, the guy of psychedelics today. So obviously you're not out there shy to talk about this, but what in the beginning, what was going on with sharing your experiences and talking to people in your life about this? Did you have any pushback? Mm. It was largely my pushback. So I was really a software professional for a long time and I was really, um, you know, trying to be the best I could at that position, you know, giving all my life right. energy to it and, you know, not necessarily telling the truth about what I was up to over the weekend or, you know, what, what I was interested in. I would just be like really mm-hmm. shut mouth. Um, and I think some people there could kind of sense my weird. So they kind of knew, but a lot of people didn't. They're like, Oh, real straight laced kid. I'm like, yeah, really? <laughs> sure. The more normal you look, the weirder <laughs> you are probably. Uh, that was yeah. true for me. Um, so, you know, it was a really kind of a stressful dichotomy of like holding up this profession and like getting really public about psychedelic use, thinking I could get fired at any moment. Um, thankfully it's not a problem anymore. And I didn't (laughs) lose my job on account of, uh, psychedelics, but it was, it was definitely a big factor and really stressful on the day to day going, okay, when are they going to find my website and fire me? Because I'm going in front of big banks and like pitching all these things and like, okay, they can't really have the psychedelic guy do that. Um, right. Especially you were way ahead of your years. time. Because <laughs> so, you, you look at like Silicon Valley and the software engineers and the software world, startup world, they're all, this is all part of their community now. And, and you're mm-hmm. doing this kind of stuff and going to banks and making pitches and you're, you're worried about it and yet you're still putting it out. Totally. So, interesting. yeah, so that was probably the most stressful part. Like my family stuff was a little interesting. Um, but it was, it yeah. was really cool to know, like, I think when my mother found out, what was her line? Is that, is that boy messed around with psychedelics? I think that was like her comment to my father when my father <laughs> told her about my show. <laughs> and and uh, I thought it was kind of funny, kind of cute. You know, they, they grew up yeah. in kind of like the hippie subculture of the Northeast. And, you know, they weren't strangers to any of this stuff. So right. it's kind of cool how that unfolded over time, like hearing their stories from the 60s and 70s and, you know, sharing some of mine. I've, I'm still a little closeted and indirect about my stories uh, with them. Right. Uh, but they do know <laughs> about the uh, psychedelics today podcast blog, all, all the classes that I'm teaching doctors and therapists and they're really, nice. really proud of it, which is really, really neat for me yeah. um, to have that experience. Um, you know, my mother sending me kind of like encouraging things when they, when she sees like news right. articles of like suicide and like psychedelic risks and, you know, psychedelic help or how psychedelics help people in the pop media. She'd be like, Oh, nice work. Really right. keep going. You're doing the right thing. And I'm like, okay, that's amazing. Really helpful for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, my brother and sister are kind of interested, but they're, they're not necessarily that interested <laughs> that they're like uh, jumping in. Um, but it's kind of cool to communicate with them and share the stories and the science with them. They're really both really strong science people. So it's nice to be able to communicate that to, to them, even though they're in in very different fields. Um, So, yeah. And I I don't know that my 95 year old grandma knows yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if she finds out in the next year (laughs) and we'll see how that goes. And those are the, 
Yeah, and those are the conversations that are that are interesting. Because I know my mom is uh, probably in the generation between, because I was born in 68, right, in the, right at the end of the summer of love, right? And my parents were very straight-laced. And even even talking to her about some of these things, her her opinions are, oh, you know, it's a it's addictive, and you're gonna die, and you're gonna have flashbacks. You know what I mean? And all these things, and it's like, no, mom, you got to look at, you know, do the research and look at this stuff. Sure, you don't want to take it lightly, but all the things you were told are actually not true about this. So I think her generation older, it was the same thing with my son's diabetes. People would be like, my grandmother was like, oh my god, he's gonna die. And my mother was like, oh, my God, his feet are going to fall off. And then people in my generation and his were like, oh, you're going to have to take some shots, but you're going to be fine. Right. There's a different reaction among the generations, yeah. Um, so you started, you were working in the software world, and you started your podcast. Your parents were okay with it, even super supportive and proud of you. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into doing psychedelics today? What inspired you and, and maybe give a little bit of background on that. So people, I mean, it's not like anybody listening to this doesn't already know about it, but you know, what do you want to say about, about psychedelics today? Mm. Well, it's evolved quite a bit. So it started because Kyle and I didn't really know each other and our breathwork teachers. We, we mm. share breathwork teachers. Um, we're kind of surprised that mm. we didn't know each other. I think Kyle started coming. Right to workshops as soon as I kind of stopped and like moved to Colorado. Um, so, you know, we had a lot of, you know, mutual interests and backgrounds. So um, they were just like, Hey, you guys should, should at least connect. Like the fact that you don't know each other is a little crazy. And we heard about each other for yeah. probably a good year before we started talking. And then we started talking online and it probably took another year before um, we made the decision to start the podcast. And the podcast was, just a way for us to work together. And our initial goal was bringing breathwork, Stan's holotropic breathwork into the psychedelic conversation because it was, it was kind of frustrating to see it not really recognized or like given any publicity. Yeah. So that was our real intention was like, Hey, this thing's legal. It's here. It's available. It's got decades of history. Like you should probably know about this if you're interested in acid or, or mushrooms or MDMA. Um, yeah especially in the therapeutic like self-exploration concept um, or framework. So that was our intention. It started as just a monthly or every other week podcast. And then eventually I said, Hey, you know what? Like, let's make a serious go at this and like, let's go weekly. And then eventually we said, Oh, maybe we can make a class online. And we did that. So we've been teaching like clinicians and therapists and um, even the general public for, for a while now. And that's been extraordinary. Yeah. We've got like a pre-recorded version and we also can like teach people live. Um, and yeah, we just wrapped a eight week clinicians training and we're about to kick off another one in May. Should be really cool. Wow. Um, yeah. And two different rounds. Now we're offering time zones for people in the UK and time zones for folks in the US, um, which is really neat. Wow. And uh, yeah, so we've got, we're hiring writers to write for our blog. We're, we're doing weekly podcasts. We might actually step up to a multiple times a week podcast soon. Um, and nice. yeah, huge Facebook community, um, about 3000 people now. And yeah, it's just, it's been really amazing and people are really supportive. It's awesome. And you know, we're, we're not like the hardcore science people. Like we're, <laughs> we're talking depth psychology in the realm of like Freud and Jung and Groff and 
we'll bring in weird stuff like astrology here and there um, into the conversation. Yeah. Not everybody likes that. Um, <laughs> but it's no. like, this is our tradition. We come from the world of Jung and Freud and, and Groff. We don't come from the world of statistics. Um, yeah. Like Abe Maslow's work in humanistic psychology didn't fit neatly into science. Therefore, behaviorism won because it fit very neatly into science. Um, So, yeah, like we're, we're trying to highlight a lot of these issues and, you know, yes, it's great that we have brain imaging, but we still don't know where the mind is. We don't know what mind is, where it lives or anything. Yeah. There's There's a lot we don't know. And that's the stuff we're highlighting. There's a lot we don't know about the mind. Yeah. And we might never totally figure it out. It almost seems that way. It almost seems like it's, uh, it's uh, forever elusive from true understanding. It doesn't mean we can't do great work in the meantime, right? Like between breath work and ayahuasca and various kinds of talk therapy, we can make tremendous moves. And if we want to bring it into the recreational space, like fish and dead shows, like it's just a, there's a lot of uh, territory that's not even touched by science. That's really phenomenal right. experiences. Extraordinary yeah. experiences for many. Yeah, life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure glad you guys are doing that. Well, uh, you do have an amazing community, you know, on Facebook. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a reflection of you two and, and your attitudes and your, your philosophies and, you know, you're attracting people that are, you know, mostly similar, but also completely different, but willing to talk to each other. And I, and I appreciate, you know, you guys offer that out for all of us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, we do kick people yeah. off when they get a little intense, uh, but they get a warning first at least. <laughs> yeah. We've got to moderate it. That's how it stays good. That's right. Yeah. It makes sense. So anything else you want to get out there? Um, yeah. If people want to know more about our classes, we've got free classes, paid classes, go to psychedeliceducationcenter.com or just learn more about us over at psychedelicstoday.com. Okay, perfect. And I will make sure and put those on the website so people can get there even easier. All right. Thanks a lot, Stuart. I really appreciate you having having me on the show. That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.